This is sort of an idea that has been developed over the years to its current form. What this paper does is it makes some more concrete claims about how easy it is to perform this factoring attack using lattices. Yes, it absolutely can factor numbers, and there is experimental work that shows that it can factor numbers, but it's still an open question as to how well this method scales. So that's one of the claims of the paper that seems to not be borne out in practice and in actual experimentation. It's not quite there yet to show that we can break the RSA moduli that are presented in this paper using this technique. That's, that's not quite there yet. Disclaimer. What you're about to hear represents the thoughts and opinions of the participants at the moment of recording. We reserve the right to change our minds. On March 1st, 2021, a paper with the title Fast Factoring by SVP Algorithms was posted on ePrint, the public archive of academic work related to cryptography. The last sentence of the abstract of this paper reads, this destroys the RSA cryptosystem. The author, a reputable cryptographer with a history of important contributions. This of course created a variety of different reactions over several online platforms, from panic to skepticism about the legitimacy of the authorship. The problem is that parsing the mathematical contents will take, to most of us, more than a simple glance at the paper. In this episode, we have Keegan Ryan, a PhD student at the University of California, San Diego. He specializes in practical cryptanalysis. Sure, after the publication, he went on to Twitter to clarify why the algorithm proposed in the paper does not break RSA in practice. So he is the right person to talk about this topic. This is Luis. Welcome to the Welcome Podcast. Keegan, thank you so much for doing this. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. So can you first start like introducing yourself or what are you up to? Who, who are you? Yeah, so I'm Keegan Ryan. I'm a PhD student at the University of California, San Diego. Uh, sort of my research focuses on cryptanalysis, lattice methods, things in that field. And sort of my relation to this RSA paper that recently came out is I was uh, involved in some of the public analysis on Twitter about what this paper was, what it discussed, and yeah. why its claims may or may not be true. So there are definitely many people who were looking at this paper and who contributed very helpful analysis. And sort of what I did was uh, draw a line through the paper, connecting some of the ideas of where the flaws were to uh, some mm-hmm. of the claims at the end. So I uh, definitely could not have done it without uh, the help of many other people, uh, some of the people in my group who have been looking at this problem. But that's sort of uh, where I come from and where my experience is. Yeah, it's exactly the, your conversation on Twitter that kind of attracted me to your profile because it was a, a very succinct, very kind of concrete analysis of why this claims that the paper has in precisely on the abstract probably don't hold water. So I wanted to learn from someone that is close to the paper like, or close to the field and that is able to understand the paper in, a, in, in good enough depth. So I would like to know if, can you give us a, like a rundown of what the paper is about, what the main ideas are in sort of a, a more general language for everybody probably to know? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a bit of historical background to the paper. Uh, the earliest idea for using mathematical lattices to do factoring is based on a 1993 paper by Schnorr. 
And this is sort of an idea that has been developed over the years to its current form. So the foundations of this idea aren't revolutionary. They're not completely new. What this paper does is it makes some more concrete claims about how easy it is to perform this factoring attack using lattices. Mm -hmm. And the contributions of this paper, as I see it, break down into two main categories. So the first category is a claimed advancement in enumeration algorithms, which are based on lattices. And this claim has nothing to do with factoring. And then the other claim of the paper is that uh, a particular lattice construction can be used in combination with this enumeration in order to solve factoring. So if you have a large integer like you would have for RSA, that this method would be able to factor it and would be able to factor it much more quickly than we can do using other methods. So the claim of the paper says at the end of the abstract, this destroys RSA. But probably if we kind of try to be more lenient with the paper, can we say that we have another factorization algorithm from this? I think there's definitely more work to be done to pin down exactly how this algorithm performs. Yes, it absolutely can factor numbers, and there is experimental work that shows that it can factor numbers, but it's still an open question as to how well this method scales. So we don't know if it actually does outperform existing factoring methods or not, or what the practical performance parameters are. So that still remains to be seen. So and what would be the idea of the two parts? Uh, how does the lattice reduction in factorization, how does that connect? Yeah, so to go into the two parts, I think it makes sense to first talk about lattices and mm -hmm. explore what the challenges of SVP problems are and uh, why an advancement would be helpful in this context. So a lattice, uh, it's going to be hard to explain yeah. over audio, but an, a lattice is sort of similar to a linear space. So think about how in a linear space you have a basis and you can take any real combination of these basis factors, any linear combination. So a lattice is similar in where you can have only integer combinations of these basis vectors. So instead of having a sort of continuous linear space, we have discrete points in a linear space. And similar to how we can have factorization algorithms for linear spaces like Gram-Schmidt orthogonalization, there are sort of corresponding algorithms for lattices where we want to find a suitable basis that represents the lattice but has nicer properties that enable us to work with it more efficiently. So that's the, the basic idea behind lattices. And one very common problem in lattices is finding the shortest vector in a lattice. So finding which of these discrete points in that linear space is closest to the origin, that is not the origin itself. And this problem is hard in general, but there are good algorithms that can approximate this shortest vector with relatively good quality at relatively low practical costs. Mm -hmm. So there are different qualities. So Essentially, we can think of it as uh, if we have a representation of a lattice, then in polynomial time, we can get an exponentially good approximation to the shortest vector. And if we take yeah. exponential time, then we can have a much closer approximation for the shortest vector. And a lot of cryptanalysis using lattices is thinking about a way to construct a lattice such that if we find that shortest vector, then we can solve whatever cryptanalytic problem we're trying to solve. So trying to find problems where an exponential approximation is good enough or a polynomial approximation is good enough uh, in trying to walk that line between running time of this reduction algorithm 
versus the quality of the vector that we're trying to find. Uh -huh. How do we use lattices to factor a number in this context? Yeah, so the construction that's used in the paper, there are sort of a few different versions of it. The relation between factoring and lattices is related to smooth numbers and how lattices use integer multiples of values and sums of integer multiples. And we can use logarithms to relate that to products of powers of primes. So the lattice itself encodes uh, the logarithm of small primes. And if we take integer multiples of these, like we can do within a lattice, then the resulting vectors in the lattice correspond to the logarithm of value that's a product of powers of small primes. So by performing operations within this lattice, we can get numbers that are representable as a product of powers of small primes or smooth numbers. And smooth numbers are broadly useful uh -huh. in many different factorization methods, which we can get into. And the challenge of factoring often reduces to the challenge of finding smooth numbers. So what is the kind of more concrete roadblock of, the, of this algorithm to be able to actually break RSA in the current parameters? Because I think there is a lot of conversation in some forums I read of the algorithm doesn't work. But now you clarify that uh, not the algorithm actually has it. You can factor numbers with it, but it's just that in current parameters for RSA, it is not applicable. So what are the kind of the things that we can that, that is possible to improve? Or do you think it is, is, is it possible to improve anything? Or what are the reasons why it doesn't work in RSA? Yeah, so for this lattice method specifically, one of the challenges is in finding suitably smooth numbers. So this lattice reduction that's mm -hmm. performed in this paper, it does give us one smooth number. That's the value u that's used in the paper. But we hope to find a second smooth number during the process of lattice reduction. And in the paper, that's u minus v times n. And the smoothness of u is guaranteed by our lattice construction, but the smoothness of u minus v times n is not. So the way that the paper attempts to show the smoothness of u minus v times n is to show that the value u minus v times n is small. So the smaller the number it is, the more likely it is that it will be factorable into small primes. Uh, uh -huh. It is unclear how this smoothness probability scales over time. So for RSA parameters today, so typically RSA 2048, um, although we can also consider RSA 1024 as a, a smaller example, which we would hope that this method would scale to, we can start looking at what sort of smoothness would we actually need and how large would our lattice have to be in order to, to get values that are actually as smooth as we would like. And I haven't done the, the full analysis, but uh, I did some early concrete analysis and I don't remember the exact numbers. I think it was two to the minus 200, two to the minus 400, something incredibly small for the uh, probability of smoothness. So we would need to do many, many times the, the effort to reduce these lattices, find these short vectors in hopes of having that u minus v times n value be smooth in order to get the number of smooth values that we need for this algorithm to succeed. So that's sort of what I see as the main hurdle for this work is how do we actually get the smooth values that we need out of this lattice? Because it's not as easy as just reducing the lattice in the first place. 
So this is the probability for the number to be smooth, not necessarily for the number to be small. Right. Yeah. So the smallness of the number is used to approximate the probability that it is smooth. But the property that we're really going after here oh, is having the value be smooth and not small. Uh-huh. So is this in your gut feeling, do you think, uh, because I think one of your tweets says, like, what happens if we change the lattice? Are you golfing? Do you think it is possible or it is just still up, up for grabs? I don't think it can be ruled out at this point, but I think what it really needs is just more investigation at this point. Uh-huh. We can look at some of the earlier versions of this work and look at the lattice constructions. And all of them are, are pretty similar in using the logarithms of small primes to encode the sort of smoothest finding property that we'd like. But there are variations in certain constants that are used in the lattice, uh, values that are along the diagonal of the basis representation of the lattice. And it will take time to sort of explore these different lattice constructions, see exactly what sort of impact they have on the concrete performance, and then seeing how that scales. So it's impossible to say at this point exactly whether or not it will succeed. Uh, I am... I'd much rather say that this requires more investigative effort uh, than it has now. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is definitely not something that we can rule out as there's a dead end or there's not a categorical reason why an idea like this doesn't work. Uh, not that has been published yet. Not that I'm aware of. This idea is interesting, uh-huh. though, because the majority of factoring algorithms that are in use and efficient today for these large RSA moduli are based on the uh, number field sieve or some sort of sieving. And the idea of having a alternative to this method is quite interesting. So even if it doesn't beat the performance of these other sieving algorithms, or even if it doesn't have the practical performance required to to break RSA, just having a, a different candidate for factor numbers would be quite interesting in my opinion. Yeah, that, that would be quite interesting. Is there any other algorithm in the field that kind of resembles this? You mentioned like previous works or previous versions of this algorithm, but is there anything that, you know, outperforms the number field sieve or anything in this on this path? Yeah. So for factoring numbers in practice, the best algorithm that we have is number field sieve. I'm not sure if there's asymptotically better ones, but in practice for factoring large numbers, number field sieve is sort of the the best one. There's sort of a uh, legacy predating the number field sieve, so the quadratic sieve before that, that are all sort of based around a similar idea. And these ideas are also based on finding smooth numbers. So it has the same challenge of, can we find smooth numbers that have particular properties such that when we combine these smooth numbers in a particular way, we end up with a factor of this RSA modulus. Mm-hmm. So the number field sieve is similar to the quadratic sieve, except it uses number fields instead of integers. And my understanding is that the probability of smoothness is different for number fields than it is for the integers. So that change in the smoothness probability is part of the reason why the number field sieve outperforms the quadratic sieve in practice. So for all these methods, we've got the need to find suitably smooth numbers uh, and find enough of them in order to perform the factorization of the number. So whether that's through the sieving process of prior algorithms or the lattice reduction of this algorithm, that's sort of the goal that unifies all these factoring methods. Okay. 
is it possible that you go a little bit more into detail, like how will we go from finding smooth numbers into you know splitting an RSA modulus? Yeah, absolutely. So we can start by looking at the quadratic sieve. Mm-hmm. So for the quadratic sieve, we are looking at numbers whose square is smooth modulo n. So the way that sort of works in practice is we take a number, we square it, take it modulo n. We try to factor this number, which behaves approximately randomly in the numbers mod n. And then if that number is suitably smooth, then we add it to a list. Uh, We record the exponents of the primes of this number, and then we record it in a list. Our end goal of this process is to have a set of, let's say, k different smooth numbers with k different exponents. And we want to find a way to multiply some of these smooth numbers together such that the product is a value that we can take the square root of. So we can go back into more detail of how exactly we do that. But the end goal here is we want to have two numbers, x and y, such that x squared equals y squared mod n. And we want to know what the values of x and y are. And there are a few different cases that we can consider for how this equation might be satisfied where x squared equals y squared. There's the case where x equals y, which unfortunately gives us no information about the factorization of n. There's the case where x equals minus y, which still gives us no information about the factorization of n. But there's also another case where x is not plus or minus y. And uh, we can use the greatest common divisor algorithm to find a non-trivial factor of n for this way. Essentially how we do that is we can take the polynomial x squared minus y squared equals zero. We can factor this as x plus y times x minus y. And if we know that this product of values is zero mod n, then we know that the factors of n will divide either x plus y or x minus y. So by taking the the GCD, then we can aim to get a non-trivial factor of n. So that's sort of the goal. The approach that the paper takes is a little bit different. Uh, We're trying to find a square value that's congruent to one modulo n, but the idea is basically the same. So in both of these examples, we want to find something that is a square modulo n. And part of the steps of the sieving process, of the factorization process in the quadratic sieve and other sieving algorithms are taking these smooth numbers that we've collected and combine them in a certain way such that we get something that we can take the square root of. And this is uh, actually turns out to be fairly simple conceptually. So for each of these smooth numbers, we can take that exponent vector where we look at the exponent of each of the primes, and then we can consider just the exponents as a vector. So when we multiply two of these smooth numbers together, that's going to be the same as adding two of these exponent vectors together. Mm-hmm. And we can multiply them in any combination that we'd like, and we can correspondingly add the exponent vectors in any combination that we would like. In order to be able to take the square root of a number, we would like the exponent vector to have entries that are only even. Because if they're only even, and we know what the values of this exponent vector are, we can just divide by two, and then we get a new exponent vector that is the square root of the previous value. So our problem now becomes, how do we take these exponent vectors, find a combination of them where the resulting sum has all even entries, and then calculate the square root from that. And this can be done by using linear algebra operations over F2. 
So uh-huh. once we have all these smooth numbers and have the exponent vectors for these smooth numbers, it is relatively straightforward to perform this linear algebra step in order to find this square. Uh-huh. And this is where the paper fails, right? Like using the lattice to find the appropriate smooth numbers. Yeah. Another sort of tunable parameter of these algorithms is the size of the factor base, sort of the limit to what we consider smooth. Uh-huh. The more primes we include in our factor base, the more likely it is that our number will be smooth. But the more primes that we include, the larger the size of our matrix during this linear algebra step. And correspondingly, the more smooth numbers that we need to fill up this matrix in F2 in order to complete right. the linear algebra step. So there's sort of this trade-off between increasing the size of the factor base in order to improve the probability of smoothness and keeping it small in order to reduce the cost of linear algebra. For this paper, it claims that the factor base needed is significantly smaller than for other work. So to give some concrete numbers, I believe it gives uh, 95 or 96 primes is suitable for breaking RSA with 800 bits. And this is uh, significantly, significantly smaller than what's needed for the number fields of or quadratic sieving. So Mm -hmm. if this factor could find smooth numbers more efficiently and could do better than this random guessing that we have in the quadratic sieve, then we would expect that we need a lower bound for smoothness in order to be able to actually find these smooth numbers. So that's one of the claims of the paper that seems to not be borne out in practice and in actual experimentation. So there's still some more investigation that needs to be done as to exactly why. I see. So what have you found or what have people found in experiments? Is it required to have a larger factor base for this uh, process to actually work? Yeah. So I can talk a little bit about the experiments that I I did initially to Uh uh, try to test this idea out, see if it would scale. So if we recall, the value that we want to be smooth is the value u minus v times n. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're hoping that that is roughly the size of the largest prime in our factor base. Because if it is roughly that size, then it's much more likely to be a smooth number for that factor base. So what I did is I constructed a significantly smaller RSA modulus than the parameters given in the paper. I believe I I was looking at an 80-bit RSA semi-prime and looking at a factor base of about 100. So this is a little bit larger than the size of the factor base given in the paper for larger parameters. Yeah. So we would expect that if the parameters worked as given in the paper, then we would expect that they would certainly work for the parameters that we're looking at in these smaller scale experiments. What I found in these experiments and what other people have found in their own experiments is that the values of u minus v times n are not actually small enough to be smooth in the factor base. So where we would want the numbers to be, I don't know, the size of a thousand, they are over 10 million uh, for the the largest factor um, as, as a very rough approximation for the size of the numbers that we're getting. And it seems like as we scale up, it doesn't get much better. It seems like there's no reason to intuit that the process would become more favorable as we scale up to larger values. So that's sort of the the main bottleneck that I was running into in my implementation, is that the odds of finding a actual smooth value using this method are significantly smaller than the analysis in the paper would suggest. So that that's the main mm-hmm. bottleneck. 
So in, I think you mentioned that the process that he used to find a, a bound for the probability is by bounding the probability of having a small vector. Is it possible to, you know, have a, another way of measuring that probability to only quantify what is the probability of having a smooth number instead, instead of a small one? It's certainly possible in theory, but it's unclear what that might look like. Mm -hmm. So that's something that is left up to the future research. I would say there's not a great intuitive reason for why we think it should be true. Uh, smooth numbers are quite rare. Yeah. And the idea that we could easily find the smooth numbers that we need would require more substantial support and would be somewhat surprising that we could find smooth numbers significantly more easily than we can using current methods. So that is entirely possible that there is another way of finding this bound and uh, appropriately characterizing this probability. But it seems like it would be difficult to have that end up in our favor if we're trying to attack RSA. Right. It seems like it would be challenging to actually be able to find these smooth numbers with high enough probability. Uh-huh. So there is no reason to believe that this probability will be any better than the one that is quantified by the size of the vector. Yeah, based on my limited experiments, testing out the ideas in this paper uh-huh. and finding those the values of U minus V times N to be so significantly larger than we'd need, I would agree that there isn't great evidence yet for why we would expect it to to outperform existing methods. Oh, I see. Oh, that's interesting because uh, then it means that perhaps there is probably not a lot of things that were overseen in the probability calculation or not a lot of improvement on that on that direction. So can we explore a little bit more like what would a better lattice look like or... First of all, like, what is the role of the lattice uh, or what is the lattice that we are trying to, to solve SVP on? Yeah, so uh, if anyone is, is following along with the, the paper, this is on page two near the bottom of the mm-hmm. page. The lattice itself is, I believe, in column notation. So each of the columns of this lattice are a basis vector. And we see that at the bottom row of the lattice, we have our uh, logarithm of small primes. So as we add multiples of the vectors together, this is going to correspond to adding these small primes together. Uh, Then we see in the bottom right corner, we have the logarithm of n. So this is sort of going to serve the role as our target vector. This is the value that we're trying to get close to. So if we can find some integer combination of these logarithms of small primes that is close to the logarithm of n, then we found a smooth number that is approximately the value of n. The exact magnitude of this approximation can vary a little bit, but that's sort of the idea of what's going on in the last row. Now, if we look at the diagonal of this lattice, Mm -hmm. each of these entries corresponds to sort of a different coordinate in our lattice. And we see the function f uh, with values from 1 to n. So f is just a permutation of the values from 1 to n. And n here, I should note, is lowercase n. It represents the size of the factor base. So I guess for our purposes, we can call it d. I see. Uh So along our diagonal, we have a permutation of the values from 1 to d. And they are scaled by some factor n. Now, prior versions of this lattice included a different scaling factor along the diagonal. So we can also explore what would happen with a different scaling factor uh, along the diagonal. 
So the reason the lattice is constructed this way is that the value in the last row, as we discussed, is going to be used to bound the closeness of our smooth value to the value of n. So the lattice reduction algorithm will find some combination of these vectors such that uh, all of the entries of this vector are small. We want this last row to be small because that characterizes the smoothness. For the other rows, when those are small, those are going to correspond to the exponents we have for our smooth numbers. So if we want to allow our exponents to only take on a, a small range of values, then we would want the scaling factor along the diagonal to be large. And if we are more lenient with the size of the exponents, we can make the diagonal small. So the sort of constant that appears in prior work that we can tune to sort of select how large we want the exponents for this factor base to be versus how good we want our approximation of the value n to be. Mm -hmm. So the important thing to note here is that the diagonal here is critical for sort of tuning the bounds for finding something that's close to n. So in prior work, along the diagonal, instead of having the numbers from 1 to d, there were, I believe, logarithms of primes. Later work looked at the square root of logarithms of primes. Mm -hmm. But the essential idea behind all these lattices are the same. We use the values along the diagonal to sort of limit the size of the exponents and sort of tune how close we can get with our approximation. So that's sort of the, the general overview of what's going on in this lattice and sort of how we can tweak different parts of it in order to get different behavior. Mm -hmm. Is there like a trade-off if we can't find the smooth enough numbers? Is there a way that we can adapt this idea into probably we don't get the smooth enough numbers, but probably a little bit you know bigger than that in that that yields to a not polynomial factoring algorithm, but something that may outperform sieving. Yeah, that's definitely worth thinking about. Currently in the published literature, there's not really anything that indicates either way. So that, that's definitely an interesting question to explore. Yeah. So what is your gut feeling at, at this point? Uh, it's, it's hard to say. Um, it definitely seems true to me that this algorithm works for factoring. And it does produce smooth values for small values of n, for small moduli. Uh -huh. What's not clear to me is uh, any justification for why it should scale better than existing algorithms. Mm -hmm. One of the benefits of using sieving is it's sort of related to the idea of the sieve of Aristophanes, where instead of just guessing a, a number and checking to see if it's smooth, there's sort of a more efficient algorithmic method for finding these smooth numbers. For this lattice-based method, it does seem to more closely resemble that guess and check approach for finding smooth numbers. So in that sense, it seems like it would have to overcome that hurdle in order to outperform quadratic sieving. And I don't see a way to convert it to do, uh, to do that. But Either way, in order to get an exact characterization of how this algorithm performs, it, it will be necessary to actually perform this test, perform that theoretical analysis to see how this scales as n grows. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, that's interesting. So, because it, I think at the beginning where this paper just came out, like the, there was a lot of noise saying that oh, this, the paper is, <laughs> they were saying that it's, it's a joke paper, right? So 
a lesson that I, I myself learned is that many things we have to read it with some depth and trying to, you know, get get the, the juice out of it and probably not throw it into the garbage and say, that, well, this this idea is worthless just because it's saying something that we believe is not is not the case. What are the main lessons that you that you got from trying to understand the paper? So I think this paper is quite interesting. It does build upon this earlier work. So these ideas were in the public space before this paper was loaded to ePrint. And I find this approach to be a, a clever way of using lattices in order to perform factoring. I'm quite curious to see how this will scale and what finer grained analysis of these algorithms will show in terms of its asymptotic complexity in terms of its implementation cost, and in terms of some of the other algorithms that are presented in this paper. For example, it presents a variation of an enumeration algorithm that mm -hmm. aims to provide a short vector in expected polynomial time heuristic for certain classes of lattices. So uh, it would be interesting to see how this algorithm behaves in practice. If it were implemented, would it outperform existing methods? Would it actually yield something in polynomial time? And can we use this to improve the quality of the lattice reduction algorithms that we currently have? So I think this paper seeds many interesting ideas, such as using lattices for factoring. It, it does sort of renew interest in this area. It presents this variation of an algorithm which has existed in prior versions of this work in progress to find these short vectors in sort of expected time faster than we could expect from brute force. So uh, I sort of see this as laying the seeds for plenty of future research. Mm -hmm. It's quite interesting because it proposes an actual candidate for factoring that is not based on sieving, and I am quite curious to see where that leads. Is it saying, is the paper saying that SVP is harder than factoring? It's at least as hard as factoring. So if we solve SVP, do we solve factoring? I don't believe so. So the paper relies on several heuristics uh, in order to get the estimates that it requires to, to make the, the approximations. And it also only makes this claim for a certain subset of all lattices. So I see. one of the dilemmas, I believe, says that it's expected polynomial time when the relative density of the lattice is suitably small. I think n to the minus one fourth, where n is the dimension of the lattice. So it's not claiming that all SVP uh, is harder than factoring, or I would say it doesn't attempt to clarify exactly what this connection is, but rather it presents the idea that this approach of using SVP would scale well in practice, as I, I think the, the main claim. And those are parts that need to be evaluated and to see, again, and, and clarify and uh, actually evaluate what that scaling property is and see how it performs asymptotically. Okay, that's interesting. Because I, I thought it, it kind of gave a, a, a more direct relation between the two problems. And that might have been uh, a significant contribution as well. Like even if you don't have a, a straight up algorithm to solve RSA, you, you may have some sort of, you know, relation between the two problems, but I think proposing this relationship will be, relation between the two will be really good. At least will be cool from the point of view of algorithms and complexity theory. 
Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying here. And I, I will say that personally, I am more uh, along the practical side of computer science, or yeah. my forte is algorithms that can be implemented to break things. My research focuses more on the practical implementation and the practical breaking of these things than it does on the theoretical complexity. So I'm not the the expert in these uh, reductions between SVP and factoring and those qualities. But what I can say is that for the parameters that are presented in the paper, for the algorithm that's presented in the paper, it's not quite there yet to show that we can break the RSA moduli that are presented in this paper using this technique. That's that's not quite there yet. Uh-huh. So there's always been like kind of this relationship between, or probably no relationship, but like whenever there's an algorithm that solves factoring, then there is kind of a modified version of it that does it for D log. Like there seems to be some correlation between the two, right? Do you think there might be a way to slightly modify this to solve like a, a small instantiation of D log or something like that? Yeah, you're definitely correct that for prior algorithms, there is definitely this connection between the problem of factoring and the problem of of D-log. I haven't looked into this specifically. I have seen other people speculate as to what this impact is, and sort of their conclusion was that this does not extend to uh, the problem of D-log, or at least not immediately. So it Mm -hmm. seems like this approach would be limited to the factorization for RSA. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> that would have been also really cool. But anyway, uh, well, is there anything that you would like to add to this conversation? Yeah, I just want to emphasize again that this process of going through the paper is such a collaborative effort. So many people across so many different channels were looking at this work and trying to drill down exactly what this paper was claiming, what sort of experiments it had performed, what the sort of impact of this. So I just want to acknowledge all the people who contributed to this uh, analysis of the paper to see whether or not these claims were born out of practice. Yeah. No, and, and thank you so much to the experts first. I think it's very important that an analysis like this is left to the people who are capable of performing this analysis. And I think it is great that the community immediately responded and you know went through the, uh, to the paper, to the claims, and clarified it. And I think right now it's, it is good to extend this clarification to most of the cryptographers that are involved in the area to understand what's going on and not having any misunderstandings. And I think it's good that we clarified what is happening and I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for, for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. I had a great time. Uh, thank you. Bye.